On this episode of the podcast, I have Romit Jadwani. He is the head of growth analytics, data science, and business intelligence at Pinterest. We're going to be talking about team growth and um, the impact of becoming more agile and different parts of that, including testing, experimentation, you know, tools you need. I'm excited to have Romit on, and I uh, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Thanks, Romit. Thanks for having me, Amr. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Obviously, I gave uh, your title, your Pinterest, but to do justice, give us a little context of who you are and obviously give us the 20 seconds on what Pinterest does. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Pinterest is a visual discovery and inspiration tool. Our mission is to bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. You know, we are fortunate to realize this mission for over 450 million users worldwide that are using Pinterest to plan their lives, you know, such as planning on what to make for dinner, deciding on what their personal style is, you know, how to decorate their homes, especially now that we are all locked in, and to even plan that dream vacation when the time is right. Our users, our pinners, have saved over 300 billion ideas of pins, and Pinterest reaches three in five U.S. women, and one in two U.S. millennial use Pinterest. You know, my role is to continue helping us grow and scale, and I'm fortunate to lead two really strong teams. The first one is the data science and analytics team focused on helping us grow our user base. You know, so that includes the full you know, growth funnel from acquiring our users through our acquisition channels, such as SEO, notification, and marketing, to onboarding the users to have a delightful first experience, to you know, activating them and eventually retaining them. The second team is the business intelligence data engineering team, which works closely with data scientists and analysts across the company focus on you know, providing high quality and actionable data to all our data users. You know, this really helps us make strong data-backed decisions at a really fast pace. Awesome, man. I mean, I think as a user of the product, I mean, my wife got me into it because when we want to cook something, she's always like, go look at your pin. And then that's how we kind of coordinate our dinners, which is kind of cool. So awesome to have you on. Want to dive into the topic and kind of get your views on this stuff. So we're going to start off at the top. We're going to talk about, you know, team growth, right? You know, kind of driving the data needs. Obviously, you're managing a lot of the analytics, the data engineering, the BI behind the scenes. When you're looking at team growth and you're trying to plan for it, you know, in a big entity like Pinterest, it's at pretty decent scale. What does that mean to you? What are you looking to achieve with that team growth? The question we keep asking ourselves is, what is the growth we need internally to keep up the pace of our innovation? And to really, you know, be in the space where, you know, things always are getting disrupted. So if I may take a step back just to make a case for the pace of innovation. In a recently in a ASBR article, a Columbia business professor spoke about the era of sustainable competitive advantage is actually really over. Which means is, you know, as we think about traditional modes such as pricing, scale, or resources are no longer sufficient. So we live in this transient advantage economy where, you know, every company needs to constantly innovate to thrive in it. And I know, Amir, you know, there are so many examples of these really large giants who have failed just because they didn't innovate, you know, such as, you know, Kodak, Blockbuster, BlackBerry, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. So any company who wants to sustain, you know, and any business leader that wants the company to sustain is really asking three questions. How quickly can we identify these opportunities? How quickly can we understand these opportunities and make progress? And how quickly can we go to market? Any good data organization, whether it's data science, analytics, and data engineering, can play a huge role to answer these questions. So that gets me excited about 
how can we continue adding value back to the organization so that we are constantly innovating? And then a team size is just one of the variables we have to do that. Absolutely. And that's interesting that obviously used like, you know, Kodak and some you know, Blockbuster, some examples. And we were talking this morning about actually some of those components and some of the companies we work with. And the one thing that I guess would be interesting to get and get your view in terms of the analytics side is to identify those opportunities, right? To understand the opportunities, you need more and more data. Sometimes, I guess, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, people relied a lot on quote unquote intuition and gut or, you know, <laughs> I feel this is a good opportunity. Now we have the analytics, we have the data to make those decisions. When you're looking at those opportunities and you're trying to find new markets to get into, I'm sure it's a lot, but how much of that growth is driven on the backs of that analytics piece? We generally see as, as analytics being a true partner to feel that growth. And sometimes we have played a part where we were the ones that came up with the idea. And a lot of times we are the ones that are sort of helping quarterback the idea. And in some cases, we are really being a team player and working with our product engineering and design teams to make sure the idea is landed. So it, it really is the whole spectrum. And um, I think we are lucky at Pinterest where you know, analytics and data science are really core to the operations of everything we do, from not only identifying opportunities, as I said, but also trying to find the easiest, fastest way to de-risk these ideas, but also to, you know, once we have ideas that have some meat on it, how could we make progress towards it through building right metrics and then testing them and iterating them through experimentation? Absolutely. I asked this question to somebody else. I'm kind of curious your perspective. And uh, I asked, you know, in you know, the previous days, an MBA was essential to work on strategy and to work on, you know, some of these, you know, growth initiatives. And now you're seeing analytics, data science coming into the play and being a lot more impactful on growth and on revenue opportunities. And I guess, you know, there's a chief analytics officer and that type of thing. Is that what you're seeing too, kind of the impact of more of that strategic side of revenue growth uh, for a company being driven by, you know, like your team, for instance? Absolutely. And I think MBA is still important. I think someone with that strategic either experience or through education is always going to be a very valuable partner to someone that has strong data analysis, as well as uh, data mining skills. The best is where you have both of these skills in one person, right? Along with the ability to be a strong communicator, as well as, you know, have that true intuition and conviction in what works for a product. Our best data analysts or data scientists are the ones, you know, are basically using all these three things, right? And um, I think it is fair to say that analytics has arrived. Like it has become so important right now, just because we have figured out the science of how do you convert data into insight into action, right? And that loop has been very streamlined over the past 10 years with really, you know, some of the companies such as, you know, Facebook and Google's of the world. So we feel that we are standing on a lot of the work that the industry has done on this, but more and more, there are so many things we need to do looking forward to continue establishing analytics, not only as a core, but as a valuable partner to all decision-making. Absolutely. And you started, like, if you go back in the day where you started within, you know, traditional BI, right, where you only had so much data, you only had so much computing power, the role itself has gotten more complex. Like before, 
Python wasn't even a requirement on the radar if you were doing BI you know, 15 years ago. Now, without having Python or something R or something similar, just coping with that data volume, the complexity is just outgrown. I think it's ahead of where the market is in terms of where skills are being delivered to kind of you know, provide more of that team growth. Is that what you're seeing too in terms of skills kind of catching up to the complexity of analytics arriving? I think you're right. Some of that catch up is happening. The way I think about this is I think all of this happens in waves. So there was a need for data, which led to you know, folks learning SQL, which led to folks building BI tools, right? And now we have seen the next wave. There is a lot more data that can be sort of shoved into a BI report. And that's where you need skills such as data science, you know, advanced analytics, predictive analytics to really start making sense of this data. And eventually there will be tools in the market that's going to abstract a lot of these techniques as well. So I just see this as an ebb and flow of the requirements or the need for what you can derive from the data keeps changing, where in past like 10, 15 years, all you would care about is what's my revenue. And now you're curious about not only what's my revenue, but who's driving my revenue. And very soon, even now we're actually asking questions is, what are the changes I need to do on my end to drive revenue? Right. And all of these are very valuable questions to ask. It's just that the stack you need underneath, as well as skills you need underneath, have grown so much. Right. And at some point, you know, I'm very optimistic of technology catching up to some of these human solve problems and we'll automate them. And that basically keeps pushing humans to solve much more complicated questions. I think that's interesting. I think uh, that the tool set definitely will mature. I think 100% it has to because. Uh, there's such a bottleneck right now in terms of, you know, people being able to deliver, you know, the level of analytics at the scale that's occurring. And every organization now has become a cloud-based entity. It doesn't matter what industry you're in anymore. You're collecting enough data points that you're no longer, and there are some, that's not true, but it's such a majority and that demand is just kind of outstripping talent that you're right, probably the tools have to catch up and that's going to be an awesome opportunity for somebody out there to bring that to market. And if I may, the thing where a tool could do an amazing job, for example, is you know the way we think about the work a data organization does is you know either you are mining data, which is basically what you would want data engineering to work on, right? And then you have how do you convert the data into insights, which is what you want analysts to work on. And even there, there is a tooling aspect to it, and there's a skills aspect to it that as well, right? For example, we did a survey internally just to check on how much time a data scientist and analysts are spending on actually doing analysis versus other things that are considered as you know overhead. But we noticed 25% of the time is spent on finding the right data table to query, right? And the problem is data discovery there because you know we have such a massive data store within Pinterest that got us thinking, how could we use metadata, which is basically data about the data? to start enriching that whole user experience. You know? So for example, could we identify low quality tables or low engagement tables, right? And then notify the users when they're using this table. Or even better, how could we recommend the next best table to use for your use case, right? And these are the features which I think will really help reduce the path to discovery. So you know, data scientists and analysts continue focusing their valuable time on analyzing the data instead of just you know, searching for data. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you mentioned along the way, obviously, becoming more agile, becoming you know, more nimble, moving faster. The amount of data uh, and the business 
questions being asked are requiring everyone to also speed up to you know, meet those demands. And when you're looking at, say, at analytics and potential opportunities to become more agile, what are some of those you know, areas that you think a team can improve to kind of hit on some of those you know, more agile, quote unquote? Let me take a step back just to define what I mean by agile. And I want to differentiate agility versus velocity, where velocity is just how fast you can move, mm-hmm. which is very valuable, especially in the software engineering space. Agility is how fast you can adapt to changes with ease, right? And so when it's described that way, you can clearly see that organizations need to be more agile and not just fast to continue innovating. And as I can zoom in into what a data organization can do, as I said, there are, you know, how quickly can you mine the data? How quickly can you convert data into insights and to ideas? And how quickly can you test your ideas and iterate, right? And Pinterest has been on this agile journey for several years. I'm really proud of the progress we have made. So for example, on just how quickly we can mine the data, our you know, data engineering team and the BI team has done an exceptional job to really build these highly optimized and highly performant tables where you can answer really complex questions in a matter of seconds. And this really shrinks that you know, wait, that dead time where our you know, analysts are waiting for the data to show up. And because this is so fast right now, we can really improve how quickly we can ask these questions back and forth with the data, right? And get the responses. On the inside generation side, as I said, the tooling is a big part of it, but skills, as I said, becomes really important as well. So internally, you know, we believe that everyone should have the right skills to do their own analysis. And then this includes, you know, not only, of course, analysts, data scientists, but also product managers, engineering managers, and even sales managers, right? They pull their own data. And to do this, you know, we have built a centralized data EDO course, which is open to anyone to enroll. And it happens several times throughout the year to really become sufficient, right? Now, additionally, we realized was once the employee is self-sufficient, we still have to help them, you know, do some hand-holding with some of the gotchas. So we have staffed up an online help Slack channel for anyone in the company to come and ask a data-related question. And we have either a data scientist or a product analyst you know, there to help you think through some of the problems or even like point you to the right tables we have. So these are just like small examples where, you know, everyone within the company sees upon themselves as an analyst to really go after the data and find their own solutions and find their own ideas. So agility, and I like how you define agility and velocity. We can come back to that in a second. But in terms of what you guys are doing, the Slack channel, I guess, you know, self-service, I, I don't like the term, but we can just use the phrase self-service in this case. Is kind of pushing that ability down further into, you know, people who are actually touching the data the closest to give them the opportunity to ask a question. But obviously with the technical know-how, the Slack channels is a feedback loop to help with, you know, what you mentioned, finding the right table, answering a question of how to do something. Are you guys seeing people, when we're talking in terms of agility, embrace that more and trying to dig into data more, do more with what they're capable of? Absolutely. And Going back to the team growth, we do not have a vision where an analyst or a data scientist is available to everyone and every employee. Like that's not our vision, right? And the question is, especially because we're in such a constrained talent pool. And if the talent pool grows, of course we do that. But also there's all the economics of you know, you know, how many headcount you know we have available to us and all that, all that fun stuff. So the question becomes, how can we have an order of magnitude? leverage and impact on the organizations. This is where documentation comes in place. This is where, you know, scaling initiatives such as Slack channel really helps in place. At the end of the day, if a sales team needs data and do not have an analyst to go after, they will do it on their own. 
that's how they need to add value back to the organization. Of course, there's tension in this setup as well. We get emails from heads of businesses to staff up teams to support them. But at some point, you know, we are also, if we want to solve for Pinterest as a whole, and we want to continue focusing our data scientists and analysts to focus on really complicated problems. The good thing is, you know, we, as I said, we have tools, documentation processes built in place where if anyone needs data, they can get access to it as well. And uh, we're always there to help them think through this. And so it forms a good tension, but it helps all of us elevate our thinking and, and our skills. And I guess, you know, other areas, you know, developer, you know, security, they're always looking for that, you know, developer relations advocate, you know, security champions always talked about to help promote some of, you know, the principles, the practices, the ideas. I don't know if you guys have that or do you envision that's a role that one day, you know, the data side, the analytics side might need? We already have some of that as well, where we have members on our team that are focused on more horizontal type of projects. So for example, we have a team that's focused on experimentation, where they are focusing on improving how we do experimentation by looking at our experiment data, right? So how could we think about our biases? How could we think about scaling? How could we think about ramping? And they're coming up with best practices. So, so they are really advanced thinkers in that space. And on the flip side, then they're working with several other teams to help them improve their process for experimentation. So that's one example. Another example is within the BI team, where you know these are the teams that are really building sophisticated data tables that scale across the organization. If a certain team needs help, we will definitely talk to them, try to understand how we could extend some of our data tables to for their use cases. And then we'll pick it up in our sprint cycle to make sure that's taken care of if it's something that has a high return on investment. Absolutely. When you're talking about that experimentation piece and you know they're trying to improve the process around that. And I guess, you know, a few minutes ago we're talking about agility and velocity. When they're looking at the process, obviously they want to, you know, obviously find a better process that's adaptable. People can get in place, but obviously you want to move fast enough. And sometimes those two things don't always work hand in hand because quality becomes you know, paramount importance. How do you guys balance like making sure the process doesn't get too big or doesn't slow things down, but yet allows you guys to move and, and still be nimble? Good question. A process done well should work as a traffic light, right? Where a traffic light, if you ask someone, what does a traffic light do? Does it slow the traffic or does it move the traffic? Right, And this is where it becomes really important, where uh, processes, when they are built correctly, are the ones that are facilitating the right decisions, are the ones that are putting the right things in front of us for either human decision or whether a machine can take a decision on this. Processes built in the right way are the ones that will reduce the per capita investment that's needed. Generally, the way I think about it is you need humans for the difficult parts, right? For uh, idea generation is where you would need humans. You need humans for some of the de-risking part. You need humans for really thinking about what the right measurement strategy is, right? And we actually, we believe in if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So this is where you really have to put in some of the heavy thinking behind behind solving these really difficult questions. A process or a tool comes in the later end where some of these heavy or difficult questions have been answered. And the focus has been mostly on scaling, on testing, right, and on getting feedback. And this is where process comes in part. Of course, you need humans in the loop in there as well, but considerably lesser in IDA generation and de-risking and measurement. 
I think very interesting because I think when you talk about de-risking, I speak a lot to VP of engineering is on the podcast as well about the balance of you know shipping a quick, fast pace, yet making sure you know technical debt's not growing. And when you're talking about you know de-risking tooling, I mean you know on the software engineering side, they have an ever evolving you know platform and options to move to. On the data side, when you're looking at data tooling and you know type of products that you could bring in, are you looking at potential impact of slowing the team down? You know, you say, hey, this tool is amazing; I could bring it in, but it's going to slow us down to pick it up. Or is that actually come into play for you? Some of it it has, I would say. So I won't assume that we can always be running fast without incurring tech debt. Yep. So I agree there are ways in the a lot of players in the market that us help. The way I would think about it is the role a, a data scientist or an analyst can play in de-risking is how quickly can you get to 80% of the answer in 20% of the time? And of course, you can do it by yourself through you know, the tools that you have access to, or you can use other visualization tools that you can get access to. At the end of the day, from where I am, I would love to understand how quickly can we get to that 80% answer with 20% of our time. And if a tool will help you do that, let's just do that. Tech debt is a whole different problem as well. And what we have done internally is we recognize, you know, you build more tables, you have a bunch of Jupyter notebooks, you have a bunch of workflows. And just like with any other tech debt, we have dedicated space and time where we can clean up some of this as well. And you know, this is where we have plucked the page from some of the engineering management is you know, let's have a week within within the quarter or have you know 10 days within within the half of the year where you're looking back and you're cleaning up all of this. The point is, since analytics is such a bet-based business, like you constantly are trying new ideas, a lot of these ideas might not take it all the way into a ship decision. And we are totally fine with that. And that's how we should operate. And in that case, you know, the tech debt is really not that much because all you're doing is just basically testing. For the ones that have shown value, you probably want to make a note of it. And then once you have this week where you're cleaning up tech debt, you're going back and sort of cleaning up some of this as well. Awesome. I think uh, the notion of tech debt sprawling in analytics is definitely uh, an interesting challenge. You mentioned 25% of the time was spent on trying to find the right table to query and um, the tables that uh, don't ever get used and should be archived or you know disposed of properly. I mean, there's so much that uh, gets littered that uh, the next person you bring in has such a hard ramp up time. If it's not well documented, it's not cleaned up or addressed. So your team growth definitely will be, I guess, hampered as that's uh, moving into the future. And there are very low risk policies you can put in place where, you know, Every table that gets created has a time to live of 90 days unless you ask for an exception. So stuff like this where you know you have a playground, but you also know within 90 days that playground is going to get cleaned up by a system. So those are things we are thinking right now. So that way, you know, the system sort of garbage collects itself and then cleans up itself. And if an analyst or data scientist is working on a problem that needs to go beyond 90 days, right, they will of course, bring it into their own working process to make sure they ask that exception and to make sure that data or those reports or whatever that is persist beyond, beyond the 90 days. I think when it comes to you know, having those processes in place in the 90 days, when you're looking at you know, the growth at Pinterest and you're looking at you know, trying to allow for more experimentation, you guys are even you know, looking at the data around experimentation. Are you guys looking at 
you know, the usage on those tables to try to determine optimal times. Because obviously, you know, as more data gets pumped into the database, you guys are going to start having to play with more. Or you even need 90 days. It could be 30 days. Is there like some analytics that goes into that as well? Absolutely. Everything gets logged right now. So we have all the data. The question again is, do we have a data scientist who can actually look at this and, <laughs> and, 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 and help us mine through this, right? Because we're so focused on improving the product. So this is where I'm spending some of my time to do that as well. And it's a good sort of fun project for me to get my hands dirty and keep my skills alive. But this is what gets us excited, right? Like this is a pretty simple analysis anyone can do. And if it is done right, it's going to have such a huge value add to the organization. So this is something we'll be actively working on. I'm definitely personally excited to work on projects like this, along with, of course, making sure Pinterest continues to grow and become a super successful company. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question. I know we have limited time with you, but I was curious about this because a lot of people ask and like to get your point of view. When you're looking at maintaining your skills, and you mentioned like this project in general, you've been a manager for a while now. Do you pick up these small projects to keep yourself kind of, you know, up to date on your skills? Because obviously there's new models that come out, there's new ideas and, and all that type of stuff. Is this your ideal way of kind of keeping up? Or do you have any other you know, ways of, kind of keeping your skills, or at least, you know, not hands-on skills, but at least the concepts and whatnot sharp? That's a good question. So getting hands-on for me is the best way of keeping the skills alive. And this is something across our organization. You know, a lot of managers do this. A lot of managers are hands-on. So this is something I feel if I can get three hours to get hands-on on a problem, I get a lot of gratification. At the end of the day, I feel good about it. So that's that's one. Secondly, we have uh, a lot of discussion and paper sharing and internally within our group just to talk about the latest research that's happening in the industry as well. So that's the second way of doing it. Third way is every Friday, we have someone within the team coming and talking about the work they have done. So it's not like a formal review, but it's more of a, you know, we had this problem, we went through this journey, we did this analysis, this is the results we found. And just going through that arc helps you also, you know, keep yourself up to date as the variety of problems that we are ans- that are coming to us and the variety of ways we are approaching this and solving these as well. So these are really, for me, I find a lot of value if my schedule permits to Put some time towards getting hands-on, you know, doing some more research, or being involved in discussions around the research, and then you know, listening to what others are doing to add value back to the organization. Awesome, man. That's some great feedback. Uh, people are always looking to maintain skills and uh, always interested to hear somebody uh, how somebody goes about doing that, because that's really key, especially in a field like analytics where things are moving at a light speed. So that, that's awesome. I'm glad this was helpful. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much, by the way, for uh, coming on and, and sharing your insights, thoughts with us. If someone wants to reach out to you to kind of talk about anything that you mentioned on the podcast, is there an ideal way, LinkedIn, a good place to hit you up for conversation? LinkedIn it is, yes. LinkedIn. Okay. So we will make sure we include the show notes. Uh, if anybody wants to follow up uh, with Romit on anything uh, that he discussed on the podcast, that's where you'll find him. And uh, again, thank you for being on. And that's it for this show. We'll be back again, uh, another guest, different topic. And until then, two things I always ask for. One is keep subscribing to you know the podcast and sharing it. It's been growing and it's been awesome. So can't thank you guys enough. Secondly, any ideas that you guys have about future content you want to hear, future podcast type of guests, LinkedIn's a great place to reach me to let me know. I've been getting some uh, steady flow stuff and I'm trying to line those up with the right speaker. And until next time, thanks. 